Thank you for uh, inviting me and feeding me so well. That was a great lunch we had today, wasn't it? I want to begin with a story. It's, it's one of those stories that uh, becomes a bit of a favorite for me. It's a story of a guy named George Danzig. Uh, it was back in 1939. He enrolled in a graduate student uh, in the area of statistics. And uh, he went to class one day. And at the beginning of class, the professor wrote on the blackboard, uh, two famous unsolvable problems. Now, if you're into math and the statistics and all that kind of stuff, uh, you may understand what all that means, but there are these two famous unsolvable problems, and so he wrote them on the blackboard. Well, on that particular day, George Danzig was late to class. So he came in after it had been introduced and had been written on there, and he just assumed that was his homework assignment, these two unsolvable problems. And so he, he, he wrote them down on his notebook and uh, went back home, began to work on them. And man, he was working and working, and he, and, he, and he solved both problems and turned them into the professor. And so the professor is ecstatic. Uh, this student has just solved the two famous unsolvable problems. So he, he couldn't contain himself. He went to uh, George Danzig's home and knocks on the door of course, when George opens the door and sees his professor, he starts to apologize, thinking, man, I'm sorry, I, I must be in trouble. I know I turned in those uh, that assignment kind of late. Uh, but he said, no, no, you don't understand. Those two problems were unsolvable, and you solved them. And uh, his first response was, well, they seemed a little bit harder than normal. Well, <laughs> they're unsolvable problems. Now, they're going to be kind of hard. And, uh, and and it's just an amazing moment. All he could say is, man, just that they seemed hard. Well, he, he in the years that would ensue after that, he became the U, uh, U.S. Air Force civilian head of combat analysis. Uh, he worked as the mathematical advisor to the Defense Department. He became professor of operations and research and computer science at Stanford. He received all kinds of awards, including the National Medal of Science. Uh, he... Uh, He's considered the father of linear scheduling, impacting so many things. Impacts airlines and shipping and oil companies and businesses who manage their revenue projections. But as as he would go through his life, he he would often look back to this moment. That the beginning of his genius could be traced back to these two problems scribbled on a chalkboard while he was just a student. And in his own words, he said this. He said, if someone had told me they were two famous unsolved problems, I probably wouldn't have even tried to solve them. In other words, George Danzig solved the two unsolvable problems because he didn't know it couldn't be done. You know, there's many people experience in life according to their own limits that they placed upon themselves, because they, they just didn't believe it could be done. They didn't know it could be done. That their limited knowledge of God kept them from experiencing God's great salvation in all its glory. Paul said, Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to his power that works in us. Well, my guess is there are some people, maybe even in this room, who are missing out on the great adventure of walking with God because of their limited view of salvation. They didn't know what could be. 
And somehow they just kind of live their life on a level uh, because others have said, well, you can't do that. Or that's impossible. Or it's never been done that way before. And somehow we put these limitations on our life and on our ministry because somebody else said it couldn't be done. In other words, we experience what we think we can accomplish, but have never known the God of the impossible. Who can do far more than we could ever imagine. I want to read a passage of scripture from John chapter 1. As we think about knowing Christ, think about what it looks like and uh, the role of prayer in knowing him. I just want to read this story of Jesus calling his first disciples. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It says this. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, uh, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus went to, wanted, uh, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Father, I just pray you guide our thinking this afternoon as we seek to understand what it looks like to know you and how we can know you more. And Father, I pray that as a result we leave this place with a deep conviction to follow you wherever you would lead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, We've read from John about 35 and following, but just let you know earlier in the chapter, verse 1, that uh, uh, John is introducing Jesus with these words. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse uh, 14, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. And in verse 29, He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. In other words, this is why Jesus came to earth. Uh, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. And he came for the purpose of taking away the sin of the world. That was his mission. That's why he came. That's why the Father sent him. And a part of God's sovereign plan 
was not just to send Jesus to take away the sin of the world, but was also that Jesus would take a group of men with him. Men who would be witnesses to the gospel, men who would see the miracles, who would hear the teaching, who would experience the presence of God. Men who would go with Jesus to the cross and be witnesses to the resurrection. And so John introduces us to the disciples, and the first ones were John, Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And we see here that John and Andrew were followers of John the Baptist. But in verse 36, when when John points to Jesus and says, The Lamb of God, well, two of his disciples leave him and go with Jesus. I find it interesting that John didn't stop them. Hey, guys, I thought you were my disciples. (laughs) Where are you going? No, he he knew that this is why he came, to prepare the way for, for the Messiah, that he must increase and John must decrease. He understood that. It wasn't about John, it was about the mission of God and his son to save us from sin. But the first thing I want you to see is that when you follow Jesus, you come to know him. The Heavenly Father wanted a group of men to walk with Jesus. They would be a source of encouragement for his life. They would broaden his ministry to the people around as as he was just one man. He'd he'd, He'd do miracles, but he'd have the disciples working and ministering alongside of him. And also they would continue his ministry after he would leave. And so in verse 39, it says that he extended to the men a very simple invitation, come and see. They had no idea what those three words would mean. When he invited them to come and see, uh, can I suggest that he always spoke with an eternal mindset. And, and, and we tend to think from an earthly perspective, very limited but anything that God does, anything God says, uh, he, he, he's saying far more than you could ever imagine. Uh, you look at the Old Testament prophecies, it seemed like they had this immediate context, but they had no idea that there was something far greater coming down the road. And so when Jesus speaks, we don't always understand where he's coming from. We don't always understand where he's going. And that was certainly true with the disciples. They, they simply said, Lord, where are you staying? Lord, uh, Where are you going? Uh, What they were really saying was, Lord, we want to know you more. Uh, They want to spend a little more time. They were intrigued by this man. And uh, they they were saying, where are you staying? In other words, there's something about you that kind of captivated us. We want to spend a little more time with you. Can we know you more? You see, to know Jesus, we've got to step out in faith and begin to follow him. There comes a point we've got to decide. There comes a day of decision where we must act. We can't just be intrigued. We can't think, man, that's, there's something about him. I ought to get to know him more. There comes a point where we say, no, I'm, I'm stepping out and I'm going to go after it with all my heart. There's a lot of people in churches who are intrigued by Jesus who have no idea who he is. Who, who think to themselves, you know, someday I'm going to need to get to know him more. And someday never comes. There, there, there's a, a study, there's a prayer group, there's, a, there's other things going on, but they just don't quite commit their whole heart, as we talked about this morning, to go after it. But there comes a point where you've got to decide, am I going to set my heart to know Jesus? That's what the disciples did. They responded to the simple invitation, having no idea what it would lead to, just one step at a time. And Matthew says that Jesus came preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they were curious. Here's this guy with great uh, authority, great passion. 
His words seem to just penetrate their hearts and he's saying stuff about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They are curious that could this be the Messiah? Uh, they decide we're going to go for it. And listen to some of the things that they would he- hear Jesus say. They would hear him say, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And that sounds kind of good, doesn't it? I could follow that guy. Or he says, he who eats this bread shall live forever. I am the bread of life. And this has really got their attention now. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this is really getting their attention now. This, this is kind of, you ever been to the Middle East? Uh, desert land, dry, hot, hum, hot. Uh, just, man, this is really getting their attention. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I've got to find out more about this guy. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death to life. No judgment. No condemnation. I've got eternal life. I mean, can you imagine the excitement of these disciples? They begin to follow this guy named Jesus. And, and it seemed like the miracles he was performing only confirmed that his words had power. They hit the jackpot. I mean, this is more than you ever imagined. They left everything to follow Jesus. And as far as they were concerned, they were all in. Now, Jesus was on a mission. But he wasn't alone. He called men and women to follow him. And wherever he went, those who followed him would see the heart of God for a lost world. They would know him because they chose to walk with him. They would experience things by his side they would have never imagined in their life. If they hadn't have been there, they wouldn't have ever believed it. But because they made that decision to respond to the invitation to come and see, they walked alongside Jesus, and everything they heard just turned their world upside down. Everything they saw just mesmerized them. They began to experience the incredible power of God because they made that decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. See, when you follow Jesus... You come to know him. But second, when you follow Jesus, you will be changed. And it sounds so simple, but that's exactly where most people stumble. They want to follow Jesus without making any adjustments in their life. They want to follow Jesus, but live business as usual, like they've always lived it. But to follow him is to experience a radical change in your life. And by the end of this chapter, he would have six men who would be committed to him. And and it was a journey that was so full of potential. I mean, like, they were intrigued by him. And all he said was, where are you staying tonight? Uh, Just that little inquiry to, to say, man, I'd like to find out more. The invitation came, come and see. That invitation was to to allow them to come into a relationship with him and, and to get to know him. It had so much potential, but they had absolutely no idea what they were getting themselves into. And I have a feeling that that, that's how God likes it, because if he were to tell us on the front end what he's about to do on the back end, it would scare us half to death. We wouldn't even start the journey. 
He's, he's got to build some things into our life to where we are ready for this moment. But if he's just going to tell us this, there's not a way in the world I'd do that. I'll never forget when God called me in the ministry. Uh, I, I was the shyest boy you'd ever met in your life. Terrified of crowds. I hated speaking in public. In fact, I never did speak in public. I had two older brothers who talked more than they ought to. And so I was, I was safe for a while. And I was that quiet, shy, terrified uh, didn't like just crowds made me get all anxious and nervous and God's calling me in the ministry and I'm struggling with this thinking you got the wrong brother I him or how could I serve you if he had told me at that moment that some years down the road I'd speak at the United Nations in New York City to a whole gallery full of ambassadors who are the communicators for their country, I would have tucked tail and ran. I had no idea what God's going to do in my life. It's just come and see. Take one step at a time. And these early disciples, that they had no idea what they were getting into. Uh, for, for them to experience what God had planned for their life, they had to make some major adjustments in their life. They couldn't hold on to their old life and experience new life in Christ. They had to walk away from some things. They had to have some new priorities. They had to commit themselves to not to not what their dream was, but what God's will was. Someone said that you cannot discover new lands without the willingness to lose sight of the shore. I like that picture. That that uh, adventurer, that the discoverer, the one who's going to leave the comfort zones of the country, their homeland. To discover new lands, you've got to lose sight of the shore and go into places you've never been before. And it may, it may terrify you. In fact, that's often the case. See, the same is true with following Jesus. We must let go of our safe and comfortable life, our safe and comfortable traditions, the things that we've always done in order to follow him and discover what life's all about. And it is the most terrifying and peaceful moment you'll ever have terrifying and i've never done this before scared out to death and the most peaceful because the prince of peace is walking alongside you you may have lost sight of the shore but you're walking right next to jesus most terrifying and peaceful moment you'll ever have you take that step of faith if you want to grow in your relationship with god see there's some things about jesus you will never understand until you let go and choose to follow him. Choose to go somewhere you've never been before. See, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's personal involvement. But I guarantee you, when you walk with him, you will see the glory of God. If you, if you want to stay right where you are, you'll see the best you can do. But you never see the glory of God of what he could have done. But understand that he will take you places... That you wouldn't choose to go. How many can say amen to that? You wouldn't have ever chosen to go there. Can you imagine the anguish in their hearts when all of a sudden their, his teaching seemed to sound a little different than it was before? This uh, new life and abundant life and never die and eternal life stuff. I mean, like, all of a sudden there was a shift. And in Matthew 16, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, 
Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. Peter is rebuking the Son of God for doing the will of the Father. He, He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. I'm going to prevent it from happening. They couldn't imagine anything better than what they'd been experiencing. And now you're going another direction. I'm not, you don't need to go that way. Stay here. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're going to know him in all his fullness, you've got to follow him wherever he goes. And he reminds them, I I, I invited you some time ago to come and to see, to come and follow me. And you followed all this way. But I'm telling you, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, And follow every place I go. He's talking about his cross. He's talking about their cross. Can you imagine what they begin to think at that point? There's that moment where they're just really excited. This is, this is awesome. This is the jackpot. This is, this is who we've been looking for. This is going to be awesome. And now can you imagine what they're thinking? Jesus, what about this kingdom you were talking about? This kingdom that was at hand. You were talking about this bread of life and this living water. You promised that we would never see death, but eternal life. You see, Jesus invited them, come and see. And all the miracles that they would see, this incredible preaching they would hear. But they would also see him arrested, beaten, crucified, and killed. Their Lord will be laid in a tomb, the place of the dead. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? But stop for a moment and think about the fact they didn't know that wasn't the end of the story. We're looking back. They were living in the moment. And and everything about their life was just turned upside down. But it wasn't the end of the story. That they would experience... All that wonderful teaching, they would experience the trials and the persecution and the crucifixion, the death and burial. But they would also experience the greatest miracle of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would come to know him in ways never imagined. But they had stuck with him. They went through the valley onto the mountaintop. They, they, they came to experience the greatness of the resurrection And it was even more wonderful because they had been to the cross. They'd been to that place of the tomb. See, when you follow Jesus, you come to know him. And when you follow him, you will be changed. You cannot stay the same. But last, when you follow Jesus, you will see eternity. Verse 51 of our passage in John chapter 1. He said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's saying, you think this is great? You think what you've just heard is kind of special? You have no idea what's coming. You're going to see heaven open up before your very eyes. 
You're going to see the, the messengers of God, the angels of God, bidding, doing his, his bidding, coming to earth. You're going to see some things you can never imagine if you take the first step. And as I read that passage, I keep thinking about the life that is waiting for those who would choose to walk with Jesus. And at the beginning of, of the Gospel of John, they just, they just heard a, a good teacher. In fact, that was his name. They called him Rabbi, which means teacher. They thought they were going to learn some good truth. They had no idea what was about to open up. And he, and he tells them, hey, you think this is good? Well, you just wait. You're going to see the power of heaven poured out upon this earth. And I keep thinking about that one decision to get to know Jesus more. No idea what that would mean. How could they know? The world had never experienced this before. They could have never imagined this before. The best they could figure was just some earthly kingdom on earth to try to defeat their, their enemies. They had no idea of an eternal kingdom. But this invitation is not just for disciples 2,000 years ago. It is for us today. Do you hear Jesus saying, come and see. Come and follow there's some things you don't know about me that you'll never know unless you step out in faith and come after me. Without reserve, your whole heart. Don't just hang on to the things you're comfortable with. There's some things that you'll never understand unless you choose to step out in faith and come after me, come walk with me. See, John and Andrew, they simply asked where Jesus was staying. And Jesus could have told them the place. He said, yeah, I'm just around the corner over at so-and-so's house. No, what he said, he extended to them an invitation, a personal invitation. Well, why don't you come on with me and see? Why don't you come home with me? You can see where I'm staying. See, Jesus invited them to a relationship. He wasn't just giving them information. I'm around the corner at so-and-so's house. He invited them to come with him back to that place and spend time with him. And when they took it, they would never be the same again. They're not just going to go check out where he's living their life would never be the same again. And for those who want to know Christ in all of His fullness, that invitation remains. Come and see. You can't sit back and watch. You can't observe from a distance. You can't inherit this from your parents or uh, your pastor or someone else. You must come and see. You must pursue a relationship with Christ. I've come to d discover that the Lord does not show His glory to the casual acquaintance. He reveals it to the committed. Uh, we've, we've used that word several times this morning about lingering. He, he doesn't pour out His heart to those who just quickly come in and out of His presence. But to those who linger, somehow indicating their hunger to know more. I'm not ready to leave your presence yet, God. There's some more I want to know about you. I, it's not just about me running in and giving a prayer request and running back out. I just want to linger before you so that you can reveal yourself and show yourself and take me to a place I've never been. He doesn't show his glory to the casual acquaintance, but he reveals it to the committed. He opens the doors of heaven to those who will abide with him. And every time I think about Jesus going to the cross, I always think about the men he took with him. He could have just done this on his own. He chose to bring some men with him. 
think about their cross. That decision to follow would ultimately lead to the martyrdom of all of them except John, who's exiled in the Isle of Patmos. I think about my cross. When he asked me to come and see. When he bid me to come and follow him. Shy, quiet, timid, afraid little boy in a small town in Canada. How could I know what he wanted with my life? I just simply said, I, where are you staying? Can I come spend a little time with you? And every day as you spend time with him, every day you seek his face, every day you come in his presence and uh, allow him to begin to pour into your life, you realize all of a sudden I'm on a journey I hadn't anticipated. Uh, how many of you would say, I, I had no plan of being a Baptist preacher <laughs> or, or whatever it is God's called you to be? And you look back and say, how, how in the world did I get here? Well, it started by that first step to come and see. Come spend a little time. Come listen to me. He invites us today to come and see. Come and get involved. Come make a difference. And he promises to us, you'll see heaven open. The angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And when those early disciples stepped out and followed Jesus, man, they, they saw a world in a completely different light. As they're walking with Him, all of a sudden they began to see from His perspective. He saw people who were desperate and lost. They saw their short life in the context of eternity. That they, they chose to make a difference with their lives as they would live for Christ. And looking back at the end of their life, I can only imagine they wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into, but... Now that I've come this journey, I would not trade it for anything. For they discovered the joy of eternal life with Jesus. As I read that verse 51, it reminds me of the quote uh, I heard Billy Graham say. He said, believers, look up. Take courage. The angels are nearer than you think. The activity of God all around your life. If you could only see it. It's just right there. It's when you walk with Him that He takes you into places where you see things differently for the very first time. You see Him beginning to work around your life and, and, and to, to blow your mind. You begin to see Him working through your life. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you're seeing the power of God and all the resources of heaven coming down into your life. See, when you choose to give your life to Christ, when you choose to follow Him, when you choose to seek Him that you might know Him, you see the glory of God all around your life. And I just happen to believe that your prayer life is the best indicator of your desire to know Him. If you say, I want to know Him, I just simply look at your prayer life to see if you're really telling me the truth or not. How could you say you want to know Him? Without talking with Him. Without listening in that, that, that state of meditation. That time when you're lingering in His presence. You don't really have a big agenda. You don't have a big prayer list. You're just sitting in His presence. I tell you, our church has just built a house of prayer. A literal house of prayer. And uh, I go over there. And there's uh, the prayer room. And I can spend time praying. And I, there's specific things you're praying for. But there's other rooms in that house. With just a bunch of stained glass windows. And a beautiful setting. I just go and sit. I just quiet. I want to just hang out at the house of prayer. I just There's something about it that inspires me. There's something about it where my, my heart just becomes open and I, I sense His presence. 
and there's just no place I'd rather be than just sitting in that chair by the fireplace in the house of prayer with God. And I know He's there. You know, I had an elderly woman make an appointment to come see me. And she called the office, uh, talked to my uh, assistant, and uh, set up a time. And I remember a lot of times I'll ask my assistant, Pam, I said, no, is there, what, what is it they want to talk about? <laughs> I kind of have a little heads up. Maybe they're complaining about something, or maybe they got some idea. I, I kind of like to know what, what am I about to get into. She says, I don't, I don't know. She just said she, she wanted to talk with you. So she came on in. Maybe we had a wonderful time. She's began to share. She had this smile on her face. She's so radiant with joy. Uh, she was telling me about her life and told me about many trials that she'd gone through, many triumphs in her life. And it struck me as she would talk about her life. And again, I didn't know where she's going with any of this. She was just talking about her life. But every time she would talk about Jesus, and of course, Jesus was woven all through her story. Every situation, it was about how Jesus walked with me during that trial. And when I lost my husband, Jesus was so close. And every time she would talk about Jesus, she would become just tender. Uh, she, she'd get a little emotional. Uh, her lips would start to quiver. Uh, and I had this sense that every time she would talk about Jesus, that she was very intimate with him. It wasn't just a name. He wasn't a historical figure. He wasn't somebody up in the clouds somewhere. She knew him. It was obvious she knew him. It was obvious that she talked to him every day. It was clear to me she talked to him just that morning. And every time she would talk about him, that this beautiful smile would come across her face, and her, it's like she's remembering something, remembering a precious moment. Well, just before she would leave, uh, I sensed she wanted to say something more. She said, Pastor, I, I need to go pretty soon, but I want you to know that I just... I've just come from the doctor. He said, I'm full of cancer. He said, there's nothing they can do for me. He said, just live your life the best you can. And then she said with a smile on her face, don't worry. I'm going to be okay. Jesus is going to take care of me. I just want to tell as many people as I can about Jesus. And what he's done for me. And in that moment I realized. I was just another one of those people that she had to tell about Jesus. I wasn't the pastor of First Baptist Jonesboro. She just wanted to tell another person about what Jesus had meant to her. How Jesus had walked with her. The joy in her life. And, and as she walked away. Her joy filled my life. I, I mean I. This, this this dear lady just came in and told me she's dying of cancer. And I left, full, I, I was full of joy. Because she was full of joy. And I thought of John 15, 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. See, to follow Jesus is to have a life of no regrets. And the more you know Him, the sweeter He becomes. And no matter what the tragedy in your life, the joy of His presence consumes you. Listen, if you've lost the joy of your salvation, and you've lost 
the relationship. Like there's, there's something missing. How can you not know him and have him impact your life? And, and all those things he was saying were true. But the bread and the, the living water and the, the abundant life, the eternal life, the joy of the Lord, it's all true. It's true in him. So somehow Jesus says to you and to me today, walk with me. Come and see. Don't be afraid. You'll see eternal life. You'll see what only God can do. You'll see miracles in your life. You'll see all the resources of heaven available to your ministry. You'll, you'll see lives transformed before your very eyes. The question is, what are we going to do? Because I've discovered that there are some pastors who are the most scared people I've ever met. They're afraid of the deacons. They're afraid of the, the givers in their church. They're afraid of what might happen or what people would say. Or if I rock the boat, if it means following Jesus, they're not sure. It, well, they're weighing the options. And there is no option. It's His church. We're just following Him. So what will you do? Are you afraid? Trust Him. Are you one of those who just doesn't want to change? Listen, change isn't always bad. When it's for His sake, it is always good. Do you want to know Him? And you need to ponder that question very carefully. Do you really want to know Him? Knowing it just might change your life. I'm convinced that's why most Christians don't really want to know Him. They got saved. They've told, been told that they are assured a place in heaven. And they just don't want to rock the boat. They want to enjoy their comfortable life. They like their family and friends and God may just send me somewhere else. They, they, they like their, the church and the people and their friends and not sure if the community came in that they would fit in real well and things might change around here. What would happen if a bunch of lost people came to this church? I mean, like, how would that change things? I remember that little church of eight that I went to. Uh, like, it grew some. We had a, it was starting to grow. And I remember we could, after a Sunday service, we could take the entire church to Dairy Queen and sit around two tables. I mean, like, we, we had an intimate fellowship going on there. And, uh, and we used to do that regularly, you know, at Sunday nights especially. We just, we'd all, get, we'd, we'd hang out together. And every church member had a lot of me time. And all of a sudden, one of the, the church started growing and more people started to come. And one of those old timers came and said, Pastor, I, I, you're not the same as you used to be. I don't, I don't get to spend as much time with you as I used to have. And, and all of a sudden, they began describing the effects of reaching lost people and the church growing. That, that we couldn't all sit around two tables at Dairy Queen anymore. And he missed those good old days where I had all this time with the pastor. Even if it meant hundreds of people going to hell. I want the good old days. Where just ten of us shared the time with the pastor. Do you want to know Him knowing it might change things? It might change you. Are you just kind of satisfied and comfortable and things are pretty good right now?
Today's the day to step out in faith. Commit yourself to a deeper walk with Christ. And coming to Him by saying, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you show me, whatever you lead me, the answer is yes. Before you ever speak, before you ever show me, before you ever lead me, the answer is yes. Because the key for the Lord revealing Himself to you it's a heart of ready obedience. If you've not said yes before he speaks, he won't speak. Because you've not settled the fact that he's Lord. And when he begins to speak, it's not up for discussion. It's not say, well, that, that's a neat idea, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll go think about it. Or I'll talk to my wife about it. Or I'll, spend, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. No, if he speaks, we would be ready to respond. And if our heart is not ready to respond, you'll find that he goes silent. Do you know why? Because he's a God of mercy. And he knows it's better for you not to have heard at all than for you to have heard from God and chosen to disobey. And because he's merciful, he just is quiet. He's got to deal with you about lordship first. He, he's got to somehow get hold of your heart first. He's got to, you got to step out in faith in that first step that says, no matter where you're going, I'm, I'm with you before he can ever begin to show you where he wants you to go. So the question is, do you have a heart of ready obedience? If you want to know him, it starts there. So I want you to bow your heads for a moment. And I want to just take a moment to pray. Because there's so much more awaiting us. And we must choose to follow no matter the cost. Heavenly Father, we gather today. In our minds, we, we want to follow you. We know that's the right thing to do. But if we are honest, there are times our heart is hesitant. Because it just might mean sacrifice. It just might mean a cross. just might mean that there are some people in our church that may not like it. And Father, it seems like the older we get, the more we just kind of want to coast on out. But Father, I pray that we'd realize that to follow you is literally to follow you anywhere that would go. In those great moments of victory, and in those dark valleys of persecution, may we be reminded that there is a resurrection. There is an eternity. And we'll give an account to you for how we've lived our short time on earth. And the short time we have now will impact all of eternity. The treasures we store up will be waiting for us. But Father, I have a feeling that there are going to be some people who sneak in by the just the slightest margin, spiritual paupers in a heavenly home. Father, may not that not be so here. May we without reserve, wholeheartedly, seek after you, spend time with you, linger in prayer, study your word, do whatever it takes to make sure that we are where you are, and Father, as you reveal yourself to us and as you begin to change us, 
We pray that you might find a vessel worthy, that you might use us to transform lives all around us. Father, this thing called revival is talking about your people getting right with you, following you to the ends of the earth. And Father, I pray that uh, maybe today you have stirred something within us that we might put aside those things that are holding us back, putting aside any fear that we may have. Just simply saying, yes, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.